I'm Lauren. And I'm Eric. Over the past year, we've connected dozens of classic She-Ra episodes to modern progressive issues. But we're not done yet. In this second season of our show, I'm no longer a newbie to Etheria. This year, we're taking a higher level view of the characters and issues that face the Princess of Power. We're as interested as ever in how those issues connect to our current political landscape. So join us as we look back to the 80s and forward to the Netflix reboot of one of our favorite cartoons. This, this is, is She-Ra, Progressive, Progressive of Power. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of She-Ra, Progressive of Power. As always, I am not Lauren. And I am not Eric. So who are we? Oh, you know who we are. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we are here today to talk about beauty. And we are full of full of beauty inside and out, right, Lauren? Yes. Uh, specifically, I think this episode is more about physical beauty. And uh, I think we all have that. I think we're a pretty good looking crew. I mean, <laughs> I feel all right about myself. <laughs> oh, this, I... let's not, uh, don't put me on the couch here. I didn't mean to strike at something <laughs> there. I just thought we were a group of cuties. Oh, thanks, Lauren. That's nice. It must be my crippling emotional problems that make trouble for relationships then. Uh-oh. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm cool. So here we are on the She-Ra podcast. I decided to start at 33 years old. I almost just spit out my LaCroix. <laughs> it's not okay. <laughs> well, okay. So I'm 32. I mean, we're basically the same age. Yep. And I just bought a, another She-Ra t-shirt. So we're in this canoe together. <laughs> yeah. One time my friend Marnie was like, don't you think you have enough He-Man t-shirts? And first of all, I'm like, I have three. There's seven days in a week. So <laughs> second of all, like, No. Well, right, and the only one I owned was Christmas-themed, so you have to have at least one that's not Christmas-themed. Yeah. Marnie. I shouldn't make fun of Marnie. No, Marnie's really cool, actually. Marnie actually sold me my wedding dress, fun fact. Is that right? Yep. Wow. Uh, so let's talk about this t-shirt you just got. Yeah, so it's from this website called Poshmark, which is basically like an online thrift store where women mostly uh, resell their clothes. And it appears to actually be a vintage T-shirt. So somewhere, uh, someone was making this type of merch back in the 80s. And uh, I'm excited about it, uh, as we were talking about in the car over here. Because normally, if it is a women's, like, junior-sized T-shirt these days, I have to wear a medium. And I was thrilled to find out that it's a size small, but is my bust measurement plus two inches, which to me implies it's older, because that's not how sizing is these days. Uh, and we have a, a guest with us, <laughs> who we'll introduce in a second, who's like shaking and nodding her head a lot, because uh, women understand this, that women's fashion and the pursuit of beauty is a sham. It's a crock. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was telling Lauren, like, I also deal with like mismatched sizing, but I'm sure for guys, it's just because the manufacturers don't care about standards. It's not like they're trying to enforce any beauty laws on me. They're just like... Uh, looks like a large, looks like an extra large. Like, that's just dudes. They don't care. Right. So we deal with vanity sizing, uh, but we also deal with the fact that I can be the same height and the same weight as another woman and yet have completely different breasts, completely different hips. So if you see a picture of a piece of clothing online on a female body, there's no way it's going to look anything like that. Unless the mannequin was based on your form. Oh, <laughs> 
creepy. Hey, kind of like the episode we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Uh, and that t-shirt and the talk of sizing is a great segue into our topic on physical beauty, which I think is interesting both in the context of like the larger fantasy genre, because there's always kind of historically this idea that like virtuous characters are beautiful and evil characters are not, but also in particularly in He-Man and She-Ra, and we are covering a Masters of the Universe episode today, in fact, which is notorious for its really poor take on this theme. Uh, No surprise there. Right, it's my first uh, He-Man episode that we're covering, and not the best example of He-Man. No. So I'll recap the episodes real quick, and then we'll get to our guest who's really qualified to talk about this stuff. So we watched the episode Enemy With My Face from She-Ra. Pretty good She-Ra episode, I feel like, written by J. Michael Straczynski. So basically, uh, starts like many episodes do with random Horde generals getting defeated by She-Ra. Hordak gets uber-frustrated. And in a fit of anger, sparks a brilliant plan out of Shadow Weaver, this time inspired by Modulok, the J. Michael Straczynski pet character, who was demoted to Horde Chef. And uh, anyway... Chef is a very important job. (laughs) He's not happy with it. But uh, so Modulok's computer tells Shadow Weaver to make a Malog, which guess what? Is Golem spelled backwards. It's a monster of mud that assumes the powers and form of whatever it touches and it touches She-Ra. So it is a mud monster that looks like a mud version of She-Ra and is just as strong as her. And it almost beats She-Ra, except for the twist we all saw coming, which is what Light Hope said, which is, if it took your powers, what else of yours did it take? Well, it took her feelings. And it didn't feel like being mean. And so that was, that was salvation. But interestingly, to our purposes, at the end of the episode, She-Ra uses the honor of Grayskull to turn the Malog into what? Not a mud monster, but a beautiful woman who can talk and is articulate and wants to go see the world for herself. So that's kind of interesting, right? Yes. I mean, a very conventionally attractive woman, yeah. like maybe the hottest woman that's ever been on this show, if I'm being honest. I know, right? And so then we watched, um, as I don't, a, a contrast, kind of one of the most um, iconically disappointing He-Man episodes, Eye of the Beholder, which is almost two episodes. In the first half, Eternia is losing oxygen, and a weakened He-Man, after running kind of across the planet twice, <laughs> uh, goes to like the Mystic Mountains or some Lord of the Rings bullshit to find that someone, probably Skeletor, is stealing Eternia's oxygen. And then when he gets there, he runs into these bug people. And all of a sudden, everyone becomes very obsessed with appearance. And we keep hearing about how the bug people are ugly and hideous. Even Beast Man (laughs) calls them ugly, which is pretty funny. And, of course, Skeletor. And uh, the bug people end up having to trust He-Man, even though he looks ugly to them, right? So in the end of the episode, we think this is a a moral about how, oh, we should accept people's virtues regardless of their, how they appear physically to us. But the main bug person, guest voiced by George Desenzo, which is interesting, the Hordak voice actor, he was on this episode, just happened to be, he kind of commits suicide to stop Skeletor. He like drowns himself almost. And then in the river, like metamorphosizes into a beautiful moth person. And then Tila has a moral about how even um, beautiful people can be ugly on the inside and ugly people can be beautiful on the outside. So the TLDR version of this is that both episodes, which tried to be about inner beauty, ended with someone becoming incredibly sexy. 
Yeah, He-Man more egregiously. Like, She-Ra, I, I could almost give it a pass. There's a, At least the episode itself is pretty interesting. Well, we'll, we'll get into uh, whether or not I think I give it a pass with the help of our guest. This is Abby Dowd, and she is a hairstylist. Uh, and apparently, I wouldn't know this, but to be a hairstylist... You have to go through something called cosmetology school. And in addition to that, Abby did uh, three years of additional apprenticeship. So she knows a whole lot about what people are looking for in terms of aesthetic beauty and how to make them look like the thing they dream of being. Uh, So hi, Abby. How are you? Good. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, Before we get started, we must ask Abby the classic question. Uh, Before this podcast, what, if anything, was your exposure to She-Ra? My exposure to She-Ra was coming to your Christmas special. That's amazing. That's why you asked, wasn't it, Lauren? (laughs) I actually, okay, this is going to make me sound like the most terrible friend, but I don't remember specifically on an individual basis, who all was at that party. I was so nervous that I basically blacked out for the whole thing. So you could just tell me you were there, and I'd be like, wow, thank you, thanks. I remember Abby was there. We chatted after the show for a while, didn't we? Uh, kind of. Yeah. I know my husband played a joke on you. Oh, Lauren's that's he, husband yep. convinced Stephen to convince you that like he knew you, but mm-hmm. he didn't. What, Wait, which, that like, was a joke? Yeah, and see, we did chat after the show for a while. I never knew that was a joke. I thought thing. that was real this whole time. Yeah, no. Steven. It, Steven's the worst. I love you. It's like, I mean, I because he said, oh, like, I knew you from your last job, which is totally appropriate because I, like, presided over a lot of tournaments. And he said, oh, I was the tournament X-Wing player, which, by the way, only time that lie would work ever is when you say that to someone like me. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, I bet I remember you just trying to be, like, nice. But, like, that's how I met uh, New Lauren's husband was through that. So right. it was totally believable. But it's also, like, a weird well, practical joke. Well, similarly, Eric blacks out and forgets who he's with all the time just like I do. I mean, it's, like, dozens, hundreds of people, you know? <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird practical joke. It's like saying, oh, I went to McDonald's for dinner tonight. No, I didn't. Joke's on you. <laughs> like, all right. I mean, that is knowing Steven. That's definitely in <laughs> Clayton his put words. him up to it. Oh. Yeah. I'm so sick it of It was husbands. very funny. Guys, yeah. never get married. Don't do it. Do it. It's the best. All right. So anyway. <laughs> Only if you want to. Uh, Abby, how did you enjoy the first episode, Enemy With My Face? I actually really enjoyed it a lot more than I was expecting to. Because at the start of the episode, some of the voice acting was pretty rough. And I was like, oh, no, what have I gotten myself into? I'm just used to that now. You commented on that uh, before we started recording. And I was completely surprised because it just all sounds normal to me now. Mm, maybe I need to watch more episodes. <laughs> Don't. Never let Scorpio's voice become normal to you. Okay, good. I hey, I'm, uh, I'm driving a tank here. <laughs> Scorpio from Brooklyn somehow. <laughs> the, first, the first part of this episode that struck me was that Hordak's question was, how can I get She-Ra to leave me alone? And I was fully expecting the computer to give some sort of real answer about... Maybe stop being so oppressive. Don't take so many slaves. But it just said what he wanted to hear. So there was a missed opportunity there, I think. <laughs> I mean, it is Modulax computer, I guess. I like that he destroyed his own computer, too. He <laughs> yeah. was like, how dare you tell me what I want to hear? <laughs> yeah. I was just watching Jessica Jones season two before we came over here. 
and a character with super strength destroyed their own grand piano. Yeah! I was like, oh, I... Don't do that. Don't destroy your nice things. I understand we're trying to show anger. But not on your piano. I'm sure Hordak paid a lot of money for that computer. It feels like there's a lot of... um, I I like the episode, too. It feels like there's a lot of maybe unearned gravity in it. Like, after She-Ra encounters the Maylog for the first time, and they fight to a standstill, and then She-Ra goes, I lost. For the first time, I lost. It's like, whoa. Hold on, back it up a little bit. Like, it's well, not yeah. that bad, She-Ra. And Cowell kind of calls her out on it, too. Cowell's like, it was a tie. And also, the monster disappeared, and everyone's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. fine. You're going to be fine. But I think the overall plot is, like, pretty good, and I like that it resolves with um, not, like, action and violence, but with, like, a, kind of this emotional appeal, because, like, Shadow Weaver has She-Ra locked up and then Shira's trying to convince the Malog to save this little girl who is like spectating their fight. And it's through her words that she does it. Also, why did that little girl decide like, oh hey, I need to get closer to Shira and closer to this fight? That was the thing that I was so confused about both times I watched the episode. There's also like a super weird moment. There's there's almost it's like an office joke because like we're to assume that the Maylog and Shira are so evenly matched that they fight for like hours. hours. And there's a line where Shira says, Oh, she threw everything but the kitchen sink at me. And then oh, a kitchen sink comes to Shira and she goes something like, Oh, now I see it. And then the camera cuts to the little girl <laughs> and she turns to the camera like Jim from the office and just <laughs> looks at the camera. It's so weird. <laughs> That, yeah, that does also imply the little girl did not flee for hours. Right. She's just been in this vase, and she waited for Shira to make a nice little quip, and then she, like, did a spit take to the camera. Please don't gym the camera like that. Gym the camera? Uh, one thing that I do appreciate about this episode is that it reinforces, or maybe even confirms might be the right word, something that I've been saying about Shira for a long time, and that is that... Some of her superpowers are related to feeling her empathy and her forgiveness and her the strength of her heart. And uh, apparently, according to Lighthope, the sword magnifies what you already had inside of yourself. And so it doesn't give her strength out of nowhere. It's positive traits she already possessed. And I think uh, that could have been a very valuable lesson we pulled from this episode. Uh, But the episode didn't end up going that way as much as I would like. No, it touched on it and then ran in the other direction. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) so so it's important to mention that the Maylog has three kind of forms. The first form is just like this hulking, like mud monster that's kind of almost even masculine, but like really just formless. And that's before it even touches She-Ra. And then when it touches her, it becomes kind of like... Feminine shaped, but definitely still like ugly, made of mud and, and like yellow eyes and stuff. And then when She-Ra like blesses it with Grayskull's power, as Lauren said, she kind of becomes like the hottest woman on the show. <laughs> She's hotter than She-Ra. Yeah, yes. like basically dressed in like a potato sack, but like very <laughs> vibrant and like vivacious, like centerfoldy. What's up with that? She was very Ariel, if I'm honest. Like Ariel when she first gets her legs and comes up out of the water in the Disney film, literally wrapped in the sail of a ship and is still just gorgeous. Disney is actually a great thing to bring up here. Uh, We start to see that maybe the Maylog is more than meets the eye and has uh, empathy deep inside 
when there's a conversation going on in the Fright Zone and the poor Maylog is just standing by a window and an adorable bluebird comes and lands on her hand. And uh, it's just very Disney princess. They're really trying to sell this Disney princess thing. Mm -hmm. But up until I would say not even the last decade, maybe the last five years, Disney was a huge offender for me in terms of young, beautiful women get to be heroes and their nasty old haggard moms and aunts and step parents uh, are villains. The people in Disney movies really for generations exemplified physical beauty means good. And the Shadow Weaver is the haggard aunt in this story, right? And she treats the Maylog uh, as a thing, just barking orders to it and everything. Well, and at the beginning of the episode... She says that it doesn't have a life of its own. And I was like, oh, God. But it does. That's really sad. Yeah. I hadn't even thought of uh, Shadow Weaver as that role. That's really smart, especially when you think of our last episode, because she was more physically, conventionally attractive, and then she got zapped with evil magic and became haggard because she was not allowed to be a beautiful evil woman. Whereas her old partner, Castispella, is this, like, brunette like busty wears like a tutu like princess so this this kind of virtue coding through beauty is everywhere in she-ra and this episode just puts a really strong point on it not as strong as the next one we're going to cover but you know despite that i i still did kind of like this one i feel like there's some good emotion here uh in in she-ra's ultimate struggle with the maylog how do you do you agree with that uh i do i liked that we got to see Shira's heart once more after the battle was over in that even though she had fought with this creature for a full day or more, however long that cutaway was supposed to be, she immediately said, join the rebellion, be our friend, be on our team. You could have a family with us. And then even when the Malog chose to go see the world, Shira made sure to say, well, if you ever come back, we're still going to accept you. And she was just so ready to take in this new character. I thought that was really sweet. I did like that the Malog's basically going on rumspringa. She was like, I need to see the world and feel feelings. I was like, how does she know that there's more to the world? <laughs> yeah. Did someone tell her this? <laughs> the, the, all the monsters in the mud pit, they have a lot of big dreams. <laughs> they do. Yeah, apparently. Malog. Listen to me. Somewhere inside you must be what I feel, some part of my own heart. Find it. Use it. You don't want to harm anyone. You can do it. Please try. Find your real feelings. It won't listen to you. Only to me. Maylog, come! What are you doing? Ah, stop! That's it. Come on. Think. Believe. Try. Feel. Kind of the ultimate statement in filmation of beauty equals virtue is an episode where they tried to show the exact opposite and completely failed. And that is this He-Man episode. And I do apologize. It's a little unfortunate that the only He-Man episode we've ever covered is probably the worst episode we've ever watched. But we had to for this topic, right? I think there's some amazing He-Man episodes. This is not one of them. Yeah, I don't have a lot to compare it to. I've been bragging that I'm not a newbie anymore this season, but I am still pretty new to He-Man, and I was not impressed. 
So let me say there's like a couple of things in this episode that are kind of cool. The fact that he transforms in midair on a falling jet plane, kind of cool, right? And maybe that's it. <laughs> I did, uh, I don't know if this is cool. It did make me kind of smile for the 80s and trying to shoehorn in education. But man, we sure learned a lot about oxygen, didn't we? It's crazy that He-Man doesn't know basic biology, though. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe that. Do they have science classes where he's from? So we're supposed to believe that he's been educated by the king's, like, uh, finest scholars, right? And yet he doesn't know the basis of photosynthesis. Can I just say, this is completely not on topic, but I just need to say this right now while we're talking about He-Man. As a professional, I really want to cut He-Man's hair. Like, so badly. <laughs> That's all I could think about watching that episode. <sighs> he definitely... Like, if he has the finest scholar, does he have the finest hairstylist mm. in all the land doing his hair? Because it's so bad. <laughs> Maybe Eternia's resources are just, in general, not as good as we imagine they are. They're misappropriated. Yeah, I, now that we're talking about it, I guess it is the mystical sorceress who explained photosynthesis and not the engineer who works in, like, the <laughs> finest lab in the land. So so do we think <laughs> Prince Adam bleaches his hair? Because he gets a fake tan for sure. <laughs> I'm going to say it's natural only because he and she are twins and their hair is the same color. That's mm, true, true. And I think that's probably the strongest evidence for it. But his eyebrows are dark. There's also, at one point in this line... Or in this episode, He-Man delivers a line, it must have speeded up the process. This is As in horrifying. Like sped. sped. The word is sped, He-Man. Well, I know this isn't what they were trying to do, but it does just reinforce my view that he's the dumb jock brother, mm -hmm. and that's fine. Mm -hmm. uh, there's only one woman in this episode, barely. That's the sorceress, right? This is like a very masculine episode. Uh, it's just kind of a mess all around, but we got to talk about this idea of beauty and all the characters are so fixated with it and you think the episode's leaning one way and then it does a complete 180 back on itself. Well, I feel like one of the reasons it's done so poorly is because it's not relevant to the actual action of the plot at all. So true. It's a very tacked on concept to the point where I was about eight minutes into the episode and paused it to make sure I was watching the right one. I did the same. <laughs> I was confused why you assigned yeah. me to watch it. Because I'm like, this has nothing to do with beauty. Did you tell me the wrong thing? <laughs> the first act is a completely different show from the second act. And I think it would have been a better show if they just focused on this like lack of oxygen, which is a fair like action show plot line. Instead of all of a sudden, oh, there's ugly bugs. But are they ugly? Yeah, <laughs> they are. <laughs> well, okay. I, In defense of the bug people, I don't watch a lot of He-Man, so I don't know. But She-Ra has creatures of all shapes and sizes. And they're, some of them are shocking looking compared to humans. And no one's ever like, uh, those rock people, ugly as sin. It doesn't happen. So what's with the, why are the bug people filed there all of a sudden everybody is so obsessed it's like this episode didn't care about characters it just really needed to sell whatever message or educational uh thing it was trying to impart because everyone is so obsessed he-man's like oh they look strange to my eye and triclops says they're ugly like fucking you have three eyes bro chill out they say uh he-man is ugly to them too mm -hmm. we kind of brushed up against a classic twilight zone plot there uh but Frankly, the Twilight Zone did it better. <laughs> yeah. 
And maybe the most offensive thing is what happens after Garth the bug person turns into the sexy Mothman. He says, I think this is our species' final evolution. And yeah. the water's accelerated me somehow. Right. Uh-uh. So scientifically, we took all that we learned about oxygen and sort of threw it out the window at that moment. But worse, worse still, there's no way anyone can get the lesson that true beauty is within from this episode if the reward is still external beauty and external beauty to a very specific standard, which is the ripped barbarian standard. Yeah. Is there anyone who doesn't have muscles on muscles on muscles? No. Right. And, the, you know, that's in a sense a problem with the genre, but especially apparent in a show like this where people are so, like, poorly clothed. Even, like, the king and queen are, like, built as hell. Yeah. And I'm just kind of like, what body image thing does that send to little kids at mm. home? We talked a lot about this on the Toys That Made Us episode in that the He-Man line was designed very intentionally to be super buff, to make uh, young boys who didn't get to make the rules in their home and often felt powerless to feel powerful and imagine themselves as this powerful guy. But it's weird that the entire universe, including minor characters, is also that way. Well, and what's mm -hmm. weird is He-Man is supposed to be super strong, but there are people that are just as ripped as he is. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I'm like, wait, why are you so much stronger than these dudes who have way bigger pecs than you? It does help yeah. his secret identity, though, doesn't it? Yeah, because they're all huge. They're all huge. It could be He-Man could be anybody. Here's the real thing that strikes me about this ending. If they all thought, if the bug people all thought He-Man was hideous, wouldn't Garth going home also be considered hideous? Suddenly uh -huh. he's like, no, I think this is who we were meant to be all along. No, you'd be looking in the mirror and thinking you were crazy ugly because that's what you said this was. Well, he's been evolved to believe in human beauty standards. <laughs> that was part of his, his evolution. His brain was evolved as yeah. well. Like, okay, I am more human, therefore I am attractive. That's such a good point, though, that I didn't even think about. And it would have been way cooler for the episode's point if the first act, or if the second act was moved to the first act and then the second act became... Garth returns as a Mothman, and people are like, oh, now you're ugly, and now you can't be here, even though he's, like, technically stronger and can fly. They, like, don't want him around. That's a cool story. It is right? an awesome story, and then we could all learn to appreciate one another, no matter what we look like, mm -hmm. not begrudgingly appreciate one another until finally you look like the rest of us. Yeah. Well, and what does that say that he had to sacrifice himself to become sexy? Yeah, he literally died. In yeah. such a, like, I had to rewind that part because they don't really make a big thing of it. They show him jump in the water, and then we don't see him again. But then Skeletor says, your friend's sacrifice was in vain. And then he meant, like, no sacrifice is in vain if it accomplishes something or some bullshit Helps like that. Helps other people, yeah. yeah. I, I'm glad that was as clumsy to you as it was to me. I was wondering if maybe I had looked at my phone for too long or something and missed the big the big death scene. I thought it was just like a pool. Like, I didn't assume he'd be drowning in it, but I think we were supposed to assume he did. He died, yeah. And then he metamorphosed into a beautiful flying uh, mothman. Now, apparently the creatures come back in a season two episode called The Bitter Rose. I could not bear to watch it, but my understanding is that they were all evolved in that episode. 
Well, thank goodness. Yeah. Thank goodness we could all be attractive because I couldn't stand to look at those nasty bug people anymore. Yeah, they were so gross. Yeah, I <laughs> I do love the care in which they animated Garth's flailing arms when he's trying to like distract Triclops. It's just like it's so good. Yeah, every now and then you notice that. A little extra animation time was put into something, and I always love seeing it. Another thing that I thought this episode didn't deliver pathos on at all is, like, what are the bugs afraid of? That the um, running water will disrupt their caverns and crush their babies. That is, like, not given any of the gravity it deserves. That, like, He-Man saves their eggs from being smushed. Like, that's another episode, right? None of this bullshit, like, sexy moth people stuff. Yeah, he he saved an entire race, and it's kind of glossed over, because what's really important is your abs. And then Tila delivers the moral, which is said in, like, the (laughs) most un-PC way I can imagine. (laughs) Tila puts Lookie's worst morals to shame Mm -hmm. with this one. And she's not even in the episode, by the way. No. So, long story short, she she tries to deliver a message that true beauty and the best beauty is on the inside because you could still be a real jerk if you're attractive on the outside but still treat people badly. But what she says is, even ugly people are beautiful in some ways. And it's delivered just with a completely straight face, just saying like, hey, kids at home, you know you have some real uggos in your class. (laughs) (laughs) It's just... (laughs) Uh, I was called ugly when I was a kid. I'd be like, Tila, God. Today we met Garth, who to some people looked like a monster. But Garth wasn't a monster. He was a good person with a noble soul. And in the end, his beauty showed through. Real beauty comes from inside, which is why ugly people can sometimes be the most beautiful people to know, and why people who look beautiful sometimes act very ugly. Being beautiful on the outside is all right, but being beautiful on the inside, that's the best. So I'd like to hear uh, a little bit more from you, Abby, to take this into our current society a little bit. I mean, we were sort of joking about it with the t-shirt and vanity sizing, but you have to have people coming into your chair every day whose confidence is boosted and whose self-worth is boosted by a change to their physical appearance. And I think there's value to that. And I'm going to get wild colors put in my hair in like a week myself. It is important. It's a thing we love to do. But how does that make you feel knowing that sort of a physical aesthetic service can really affect someone's insides? So that was actually the thing that attracted me to being a hairstylist is because I always know how I felt after I got my hair done and I wanted to provide that service for other people because it is the one aspect of beauty that you can change without undergoing permanent consequences. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. And so I really like that, but I feel like I constantly have to keep myself in check because I'm like, I don't want to buy into beauty standards saying there's only one way to be pretty. Yeah, it's, it's hard when people come in and you can tell that they don't love themselves, and so they think getting a haircut is going to completely change how they feel about themselves. Yeah, I am a person who I think like pretty much every girl I've ever known went through a phase, you know, middle school, high school, where I just thought I was ugly trash. 
And it was hair and makeup and fashion that would temporarily kind of make that go away. Mm-hmm. I think the reason I'm in, an, in, in adulthood still a makeup fan and still a hair dye fan is because I've gotten to a point where the only person I'm trying to please with it is myself. And I think that's where the change is. When you stop getting a haircut to please other people and you do it because you think you look awesome, or I put on my purple mascara that's not even in vogue right now, but I think it's the shit, I think that's when you've crossed some sort of threshold, uh, internally and externally. So I kind of hope that the Maylog goes out and... uh, isn't mistreated by people who are coveting her because she's so sexy. Yeah, I can't tell if Ethereum is a world where um, men are pigs like in this world, but uh, I hope not for her sake. Yeah, I, I don't like what it says about me and the world that we're in right now. That just the first thing I thought of was, oh God, like the first village she comes to, men are going to be gross. She's too hot for her own good. Before I can decide what to do with my life, I must first learn what it is to be alive. I must go out into the world, see people, learn things, discover the meaning of these strange feelings. There is so much to learn. And I wish you luck. You have much to see and feel. So let's return to our our key thesis here. We have seen two episodes, one kind of subtly and one super egregiously equate external beauty with virtue. Do we feel that that persists in society? Like, is that is that kind of a heuristic people use to assess goodness in others in real life? And, and maybe that's the second question. The first question is, are, can we take any good lessons from She-Ra and He-Man about beauty and virtue? So today, I don't know if I would say moral goodness is associated with physical beauty, but certainly in the media I've consumed, it's uh, worth. Uh, If you look at many a movie, the the hero character can be, you know, a George Clooney, someone who's 50, even 60, paired next to a romantic 20-something lead woman because men are allowed to age in Hollywood and be called sophisticated and silver fox in a way that women just can't and sort of to Abby's earlier point that's why I think you see a lot of very permanent cosmetic procedures because the second you start showing your age uh, I think as a woman you're replaced on magazine ads and film by someone younger because youth is what's worthwhile and youth is often embodied as a, a certain physical appearance. There's that Amy Schumer sketch, Last Fuckable Day. I think a really <laughs> great great and sad illustration of what you're talking about. Like, it's not a funny idea. I just like the name of it. Um, I know when I was a kid, we would go places with my great aunt. And she would say that it was weird because people treated her like she was invisible. Like, my mom and I would be at the store and they would say hi to us. How can we help you? And she was just there. No one addressed her. So, and she's a beautiful woman. It's just, she's not under the age of 35 anymore, which I know isn't necessarily what the episode is about, but there's definitely something about beauty and the way that you're treated. I mean, you're right. It's not what the episode's about, but how come Shadow Weaver summons an ancient, like, mystical mud monster and it turns into like a mid-20s woman when blessed with the honor of Grayskull, you know? It's true. Yeah. Even the sorceress in He-Man who like has all the knowledge of ever 
including photosynthesis, is painted to be like 27 years old. Because that's how society thinks people should look forever and always. Like you are only going to be good looking at 27 if you look this very, very specific way. Right. That's, yeah. that's when you're at your very best. So we'll just draw all the women like this. Yeah. So I, I think this is maybe the first issue we've come to where She-Ra, even for all its progressive nature, has nothing to offer. Like it, it fails in the way that most media fails. Yeah, it it really tries. It's trying to teach the lesson that we'd want it to teach, but it does not succeed for me really at all. Yeah, and I, I suppose that's just part of like watching a fantasy cartoon starring women and, and men who barely wear any clothing that kick a lot of butt. They're just muscly and beautiful, and it's the trope of the genre, but... You know, I, I absolutely expect body diversity in Noelle Stevenson's version of She-Ra. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I expect that to happen, especially given several of the creators' other bodies of work. Kind of, a, kind of a related, pulling the lens out a little bit. Do we think other lessons and other morals that She-Ra has taught us are actually incorporated into the show? So, for example... Mm-hmm. Beauty is on the inside. External beauty is not important. You can the show can say that all it wants, but if it never shows an empowered character that looks anything other than conventionally attractive, it's not living up to its promise. Do we think the show is generally better at that, or no? Yeah, I mean, we talk about the morals every episode, and I feel like this is the first time where it just kind of seems like they're lying to us. You know, like sometimes. Well, I mean, to be fair. The moral of uh, Enemy With My Face had nothing to do with beauty. I just thought the ending was really telling, right? But the moral is... Today, Shadow Weaver treated the Maylog as if she had no feelings. That hurt her. Think twice before you make fun of people, call them names, or put them down. Treat people the way you'd like them to treat you. Which is, like, pretty good. You know, I think you can get that from the episode. Yeah, they could have tied it in even to say people look different but they're all the same on the inside. Don't make fun of people for how they look, but they backed away from that. Well, and I found it interesting that the show had attractive people being like, everyone's pretty. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, but you're a pretty person saying everyone's pretty on the inside too. There's a meme meme from uh, the X-Men movies. I was just going to reference that. (laughs) Where uh, Rogue wants to be cured because she murders everything she touches, and Storm, who has the most amazing X-Men power of controlling the weather, is like, we're fine just the way we are. No, idiot. Other people have different struggles from you. Something about this time, this genre, this show was not equipped to talk about body image. Well, correct. And I'm trying to rewind the clock on my own life a little bit. And I just don't think, at least from my own experience, the generation above us was super great at that in general. I don't know about you guys, But it took me many, many years to get over some real body confidence issues. And I don't I don't blame my mother for this at all. If she's listening like this is not what I'm trying to do. But she would not walk to the mailbox or go to Walgreens or pick me up from school without a full face of makeup. And she would say she would refer to that as her face. I don't go outside until I put my face on. And uh, it really took until I met my husband, frankly, for me to genuinely think that without makeup, I still looked 
worth looking at because I was raised being told point blank, it takes this cosmetic layer until you don't have a face until then. And I'm not the only person with that story. I've heard other women say that too. And I wonder if that was just women in the 80s, you know? And let me walk it back. There is another area that we've talked about that the show has failed. And Abby, you said you watched the episode uh, illustrating it today, Race. You know, that she can talk about diversity all at once and it can have trolls and orcs and whatever. There's no people of real color in the show. Yeah, that's yeah. that's not people diversity. Right. So in the same way that this is where we see the the boundaries of the 80s, I think, constricting the progressive messages of the show. Like it can have all these really good progressive morals on its sleeve, but ultimately it's all beautiful waspy white people telling them to us. Yeah. So that's a bummer. Yeah, well, good try. I, I guess I yeah, guess good, it is worth try. it is worth saying that we're we're moving against this in society. Finally, there are brands that are moving away from photoshopping their ads and making pledges to show more body diverse women. We have a long, long, long way to go. I don't think we've actually made as much progress on that as companies would like to think they have, but we're at least trying now. Even I myself still give, I think, undue credit to people I find physically attractive. Like, to bring the show back to politics for just a hot second, I still check out Melania Trump's clothes, and I'm still like, wow, that's a really cool outfit. I'd wear that. Even though I think that family is an abysmal pit on society. Like, There's nothing that I would ever admire or emulate about the Trumps. And yet, if if, if someone steps out in a cool outfit, even the worst person, I'm still like, ooh, cool. Well, I can't tell you how often people bring in photos of the Kardashians. And they're like, I'm going to preface this. I don't want to be a Kardashian, but I want to look like a Kardashian. And I'm just like, I mean... I get it. They are really pretty, and they have really great hair. And they're everywhere right now. Exactly. So that's what you're exposed to right now, as this is what the beauty standard is. And and this is a question that cartoons are not really equipped to tackle necessarily, but there is something just like your brain enjoys about seeing something that you perceive as beautiful or attractive, you know? In the same way that, like, I find um, the Trump family abhorrent, and I don't seek out pictures of her, but, like, I will readily admit that I think Ivanka Trump is attractive. And when I harmlessly would watch Celebrity Apprentice 10 years ago because I didn't know any better, you know, I liked seeing her in the boardroom. And that was it, just because, like, oh, I find this tall blonde woman attractive to me. And that is... I don't know if that's something we just need to compartmentalize, like that your animal brain thinks one thing, but your like human brain needs to think another, or if we just need to stop judging people like that at all. But it is, it's, just, it's a part of being human. I feel like you can admire someone's natural beauty, but kind of stop it there mm-hmm. and not give them more credit than they're due right. because they're attractive. Right, you don't yes. you don't want to confuse it with other virtues. Right, because you also don't want to be like, oh, you're so ugly, you have long legs and you're blonde. Ugh. Right. Because <laughs> I feel like that's just like going in the opposite direction and that's also kind of weird. So, you know, this was one of the couple episodes where we have to give a little finger wag at She-Ra and especially He-Man. Next week we are covering uh, kind of self-image, like not... It relates to the idea of beauty, but it's more like how characters perceive themselves. And I think 
hopefully that that will give us a little bit of room to salvage some of the disasters of these couple episodes. Do they all get new haircuts and realize that their inner beauty was there all along? Um, definitely half of that. They all get haircuts. <laughs> yes! Even the dragon. Yes! <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower. If you've ever seen me in person, you know I have pretty long hair. I've been thinking about taking it all off recently, and if I do, I'm going to donate it to Wigs for Kids, a nonprofit organization that helps children with medical hair loss. Like we talked about in this episode, sometimes an external change really does help spark an internal one. And besides, my luscious locks should do somebody some good. Might as well be kids. For more information on Wigs for Kids and how you can help, visit www.wigsforkids.org.